Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome back to the Mind Valley podcast. Today, we're going to explore the ideas of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. Let's call it the three M's. And our teacher today is Emily Fletcher. What I'm going to play for you is a speech from Emily Fletcher from Mind Valley Reunion 2018. It's an event in LA where our entire community comes together to listen to some of the world's most remarkable teachers. Now, why is Emily fascinating as a meditation instructor? Well, firstly, she's been teaching meditation at Harvard, at Google. She is brilliant. But the main reason Mind Valley supports Emily is because the meditation that she teaches is not monastic meditation. It's called modern meditation. You see, we tend to confuse meditation. And most people who start meditation actually give it up fairly quickly because they buy into outdated ideas of monastic style meditation. Ideas like clearing your mind, trying not to think about anything, focusing solely on your breathing. And guess what? In our busy modern worlds, this is sometimes near impossible. Emily says, trying to get your mind to stop thinking is like trying to get your heart to stop beating. So she says, do not confuse monastic practices that were suitable if you were a hermit in India 500 years ago with the practices that are useful today when we have careers, when we have social media, when we're more connected and busier than ever. And what you're going to learn is what modern meditation looks like. You will learn the quickest way to access the fourth state of consciousness. You will learn how to increase your sense of deserving. You will learn the right application of mantras. You will learn how to use simple techniques to beat and deal with stress. You will learn how to thicken your corpus callosum, which is a part of your brain. You will learn how to tell your brain to shut the hell up when meditation doesn't work for you. You will learn how to manifest your desires. And by the way, this isn't hokey. Emily teaches this in a really cool way. And you will learn how they are actually different styles of meditation and how they impact your brain in different ways. You will also learn, and I love this one, how to use meditation to slow down aging. So get ready to have your mind blown and your stress blasted away in this podcast with Emily Fletcher. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. Let's talk about the three M's mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. And these three M's have really become the trifecta that is the Ziva technique, which is what I teach. And I want to start really by focusing on the difference between mindfulness and meditation, because a lot of us are using these terms as synonyms, and they're not actually the same thing. How many people have heard people just use the terms mindfulness and meditation interchangeably? So here's how I would define mindfulness. And P.S., I'm sure you ask another meditation teacher, and they will give you another definition, but just see if you like this one. <laughs> so mindfulness, I would define as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. Beautiful, right? The art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. And we could all practice that right now, right? And let's just do it, right? Just close your eyes. You don't even have to put your pens down. Just close your eyes and just take a big, delicious inhale. And exhale. 
so good. And this time as you inhale, I want you to actually feel the breath as it enters your nostrils. And as you exhale, I want you to feel the tactile sensation as it exits your nostrils. Really good. And open your eyes. So that was like a mindful moment, right? That was one mindful breath where we brought our awareness into this moment, into the right now. Very powerful, especially in this age where we've become bulimic of the brain, right? We're just constantly ingesting information via technology. Now, most of the apps out there, most of the YouTube videos, most of the drop-in meditation studios are teaching what I would put in the category of mindfulness. So anytime you are directing your focus, anytime you are doing a guided visualization, anytime you're focusing on your breath, counting your breath, visualizing your chakras, imagining a waterfall, I would put that in the category of mindfulness. Waking state, left brain practice and you're directing your focus. Now, this is an interesting time to be alive because neuroscience is catching up to what these Indian dudes have been saying for 6,000 years. And now, not only can we prove that meditation is good for you, but now we can start to prove how different styles of meditation are impacting the brain differently. So in mindfulness, where you're directing your focus, a smaller part of the brain lights up very, very bright, right? Which is sort of indicative to how mindfulness is helpful to you. If you practice mindfulness, you notice that you get very good at like focusing on tasks. You get very good at putting one foot in front of the other and being very present where you are right here, right now. Now, mindfulness is also derivative of styles of meditation that were originally made for monks, And I actually think that it's why a lot of people think that meditation is hard because people like us, people with busy minds and busy lives, people who live in society, if we're trying to practice styles of meditation that were originally designed for monks, then it feels sort of hard and it feels a little bit like, why can't I clear my mind? And why is this so... And like Mia was talking about, she was just like frustrating and fidgeting and just like, I suck at meditation and I quit. So mindfulness is a little bit more disciplined. We're coming back, we're coming back, we're coming back. And a smaller part of the brain is lighting up but very, very bright. But, But mindfulness is best at is dealing with your stress in the right now. Like my boss yelled at me today, I got a little stressed, let me listen to my app, I feel better in the right now. Like I have a headache, I take an aspirin, I feel better in the right now. That's the first M, mindfulness. Now let's talk about the second M, meditation. I'm going to ask you guys a favor and I want you to take everything you've ever heard about meditation and I want you to throw it out the window just for these next few minutes that we have together. Let's just go into this with beginner's mind and see if we don't learn something new. Again, if you disagree or you think I'm full of hogwash, then that's fine. You don't have to accept this for the rest of your life, but let's just see if this makes sense to you. Meditation, as I would define it, is basically when we're accessing a verifiable fourth state of consciousness. So different than waking, different than sleeping, and different than dreaming. When you start to cultivate a meditation practice, you actually move into a fourth state of consciousness. And in this state of consciousness, the right and left hemispheres of the brain start to function in unison. And this is important because your left brain is in charge of the past and the future, and your right brain is in charge of the right now. I'm going to say that again. Left brain, past, future. Right brain, right now. Left brain, critical thought. Right brain, creative thought. Left brain, I suck, I suck, I suck. I'm going to die in love with cats eating my face. Right brain, write that book. Call that guy. Start that company. 
Okay, so we actually want to have both of these guys functioning at the same time, right brain and left brain. So when we start meditating, we're accessing this fourth state of consciousness. And when I say that it's like a verifiable state of consciousness, what I mean is that if you were to hook your brain up to an EEG machine, which is electroencephalography hardware, there are eight classic points on the right brain and eight classic points on the left. And in waking, sleeping, and dreaming states of consciousness, the right and left hemispheres of the brain are functioning separately. But in this fourth state of consciousness, all 16 leads of EEG rise and fall in unison. Which I think is a pretty cool party trick that you sitting quietly in a chair could actually change your brain signature. But why would I want that to happen? Well, everyone should, right? Because left brain is past future, right brain is right now. We want these things talking to each other. Now, when you start meditating, Instead of a small part of the brain lighting up like it does in mindfulness, the whole brain lights up, and that starts to increase something called neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to change itself. It also increases something called neurogenesis, which is the brain's ability to generate new brain cells. And that's happening because you have this whole brain cohesion happening when you're doing this practice. So again, cool party trick, but why? So when the whole brain lights up, the right and left brains are talking to each other, and that strengthens and thickens something called the corpus callosum. Now, the corpus callosum is the white strip that connects the right and left hemispheres of the brain, and we've known for a long time that meditators have thicker corpus callosums than non-meditators, but we weren't able to prove if it was causal or correlated. But now we know that the longer you meditate, the thicker this thing becomes, which suggests that it is, in fact, causal. It suggests that it is the meditation that is thickening the corpus callosum. So great, why would I want a fat corpus callosum? <laughs> because it is the very thing that allows you to come up with a creative problem-solving idea, even in the middle of a high-demand situation. Okay, so your boss is yelling at you, you get kind of stressed and like, it's like, ah, I don't know, I'm sorry, uh, goodbye. Or you get into a fight with your partner and it gets pretty heated and then it gets really heated and then eventually you just like shut down and retreat to the bedroom. And about two hours later, you start coming up with all these hilarious witty comebacks and you're like, why? Why couldn't I have thought of that in the moment? Well, my hypothesis is, is that the thicker your corpus callosum is, the easier it is for you to come up with all those witty comebacks when it counts. Right, Because none of you guys care how hilarious or amazing or enlightening I was last night in my hotel room when I was making my notes for this. It doesn't matter. It matters how well I perform right now. And we really need the combination of left brain and right brain happening simultaneously. Also, I don't think that nature makes mistakes. And if you look at a human brain, it's actually 50-50. Why would nature have given us 50-50 if it wanted us to use 90-10? And yet that's what most of us are doing. We're thinking, we're taking action, we're achieving, we're making money so we can be happy in the future. We think, we take action, we achieve, we make money so we can be happy in the future. And meanwhile, our poor little right brain is over here like, I have a creative idea. I have a suggestion. You're like, shut up, right brain. I got to think and take action, achieve and make money so I can be happy in the future. And so what we do when we meditate, and again, this is like Emily Fletcher's definition of meditation and what I teach at Ziva is that you're given a mantra. Now, this term mantra has also been hijacked by the wellness industry. A lot of people think that the term mantra is like, I'm a strong, angry woman, or like, I want a million dollars. And I would call those affirmations, if you want to be a strong, angry woman, or slogans or log lines. And those are really powerful tools as well, but I just wouldn't call them mantras. Mantra is actually a Sanskrit word. Man means mind, and trut means vehicle. 
So a mantra is actually a mind vehicle, and these mind vehicles are custom designed to de-excite the nervous system. They're custom designed to take you into more subtle states of consciousness so that you can start to access your bliss and fulfillment in the only place that they reside, which is inside of you. And every spiritual text has been saying this since the beginning of time. What you seek is in you. The kingdom of heaven is within. And that is a beautiful intellectual concept to get in your brain, but it's a lot more powerful to be able to experience that every day, twice a day, physically, viscerally, in your bones, in your cells, in your body. And that in no uncertain terms is what meditation does for you. It's giving you access to your fulfillment inside of you. Now, that's sort of like the esoteric definition, but what's happening neurochemically is that within 30 to 45 seconds of you starting, your brain and body flood with dopamine and serotonin. Now, dopamine and serotonin are bliss chemicals, so that feels nice when it's happening, but if that's all it did for you, then it's no better than any other drug, right? You just want to feel good for 20 minutes, you could go take some acid or something. It's a lot longer than 20 minutes. <laughs> um, not that I would know, you guys. What I'm saying is, if you just want to feel good while you're meditating, that's just escapism. And if you want to escape, you could drink some wine, you can watch some Netflix. There's lots of things you can do to just escape. I don't think we meditate to escape. I don't think we meditate for the sake of meditation. I think we meditate to be better at life. No one gives a crap if you're a good meditator. And I'm really mad about that because I'm very competitive and I really would like to be the world's best meditator. No one cares. Really, nobody cares if you're a good meditator. Everybody cares if you're good at life. How kind are you? How compassionate are you? How present are you? How's your sleep? How's your sex? How's your parking karma? How creative are you? So what we're doing is that we're using tools and you could use a mantra. There are other tools that you could use. I like using mantras, right? And you de-excite the nervous system. You de-excite your body and you not only that fourth state of consciousness that I was talking about, you not only access that bliss and fulfillment inside of you, but you also start to get rid of a lifetime of accumulated stresses. Because when you give your body the rest that it needs, when you're giving your body that deep healing rest, rest that's two to five times deeper than sleep, then the body knows how to heal itself. And one of the things that it heals itself from is stress. And not only your stress from today, but all your stress from the past. That dog that barked in your face when you were 10, your parents' divorce when you were 12, that breakup when you were 16, that college you didn't get into, that job you got fired from, that stuff is stored in your cellular memory. Every Taco Bell you've ever eaten, every Jack Daniels you've ever drunk, that's in your cells. So that stuff has to go somewhere. And in my experience, when you practice meditation, when you give your body this deep healing rest, you're handling not only the stress from the right now, but actually purging and creating a catharsis from all your stress from the past. And that's actually the thing that up-levels your performance capabilities. So the analogy that I like to use here is that of a computer. If you imagine your brain as a computer, every single time you've ever been stressed in your entire life, it's left a little open window on your brain machine. It's something called a premature cognitive commitment, or a PCC. And by the time the average human is 20 years old, we have approximately 10 million PCCs in our brain. So let's just imagine you're at work one day typing an email and you're like, I'm going to take a break. I deserve a break today. And you open up a little Facebook, a little YouTube, a little Twitter, a little Instagram, a little Vine, a little Hulu. And let's just say for the sake of argument that you could open 10 million windows on your computer and then your boss walks by and you're like, oh crap, let me pretend like I'm working. And you go back to type an email and the cursor is about 20 spaces behind and you're like, oh, stupid computer, can't even type an email. 
It's like, well, actually, that computer is plenty capable of typing an email, but if you're using all of its computing power to run those 10 million irrelevant windows, then you don't have the full computing power for the task at hand, right? And this is exactly what stress is doing for us. I get some pushback on this because I like to work with high performers. I like to work with high achievers. So far, I've taught Oscar, Grammy, Tony, Emmy, and Golden Globe winners to meditate, which I'm really proud of. So I like to work with people who are like doing big things in the world. And I get pushback from them. They're like, Emily, I need my stress. Like my CEO clients are like, Emily, I need my stress. That's the thing that gives me my competitive edge. And my actor clients are like, Emily, I need my stress. My hurdy-poos, that's where my art comes from. And I'm like, no, false. This is BS. I call BS on this. Stress makes you stupid. Really, truly, stress makes you stupid. I'm going to make a t-shirt soon. It also makes you sick, and it makes you slow. There's some new science coming out from Harvard Medical School suggesting that somewhere between 80 to 90% of all doctor's visits are related to stress. 80 to 90% of all doctor's visits are stress-related. Scientists are calling stress the black plague of our century. So we could complain about that and we could stress out about people being stressed (laughs) or we could start lighting some candles and we could start meditating. We could start up-leveling our own state of consciousness to contribute to up-leveling the collective. So let's do a quick recap, right? We've got mindfulness, which is a directed form of meditation or like a directed focused style mental technique, more of a left brain waking state. Anytime you're doing like a guided visualization, focusing on your breath, mindfulness, more derivative of monastic styles of meditation. Then we have what I would call meditation, where you're accessing this fourth state of consciousness, increasing that brain cohesion, inducing that deep rest, rest that's two to five times deeper than sleep, which feels really nice. Like It feels sort of like a nap sitting up. It looks kind of like this. And then you feel really energized and refreshed on the other side. And you've gotten rid of some of those old stresses from your past on the other side. So mindfulness, very good at dealing with your stress in the now. Meditation, very good at dealing with your stress from the past. Now let's move into the third M, manifesting. Now you guys are Mind Valley folks, so I know that you're probably expert manifestors, but this is relatively new to me. And I started teaching it because I started realizing that when I was giving people these tools of meditation, they started to have quite incredible manifesting powers, but they really didn't know what to do with it. They were like a toddler running around with a torch. And they're like, I can just, these things are just showing up and I don't really know why or how. And so I just wanted to start giving people a bit of a structure around it. I live in New York. And so I get some pushback from my like hard driving New Yorkers. I'm like, oh God, you want me to manifest? What, you want me to just like get high and like secret my dreams? (laughs) No, that's not what manifesting means. As you guys all know, I would define manifesting as consciously creating creating a life you love. Simple, right? It's consciously creating a life you love. It's taking the time to get clear about what it is that you actually want in your life and taking the time to place the order with the cosmic waitress at the cosmic restaurant. She's ready to serve, right? (laughs) She's ready and willing to serve, but a lot of us aren't taking the time to actually place the order. And I know I'm probably preaching to the converted in this room, but It's amazing to me how many people I meet in a day and I ask them, what's your dream job? How much money do you want to be making? What do you want your relationship to look like? How do you want your relationship with your body to feel? And they're just like, I just, I'm not making it funny right now. And my husband doesn't understand any of this stuff. And so it's like they immediately go to the complaint 
when I ask them what they want, it's like they can't even articulate it without starting with the complaint. And so we think we're manifesting. We've tricked ourselves into thinking that we're manifesting, but actually we're just like, I just want to lose weight. I just need more money. Why do I just need a boyfriend? Why does she have a boyfriend? It's not fair. When am I going to... And we're just complaining and like confusing it with manifesting. And it doesn't work that way. The nature feels like insulted, right? So to me, manifesting is as simple as placing an order at a restaurant. Like imagine how ridiculous it would be to walk into a restaurant, sit down, your waitress comes up, and she's like, hi, um, what can I get you? And you're like, food. You're like, yes, absolutely. What would you like? Food. I'm so hungry. Can you please bring me some food? I'm pregnant. I really need some food. And she's like, yes, what would you like? Look, she has salad. Why don't I have salad? When am I... What? when are you going to bring me my food? I'm starving here. And she's just like, okay. And she walks away and then maybe she brings you some bread. And you're like, I didn't even want bread. I don't eat gluten. What am I supposed to do with this? And it's like, well, if you would just place the effing order, she will bring you what you want, right? So manifesting, that's one piece of it, right? Getting specific and placing the order. But what I have found is that the combination of meditation and manifesting is infinitely more powerful than either one alone. Because you can meditate all day, but if you're not clear about what it is that you want, then it's very hard for nature to give it to you. And conversely, you could make vision boards all day long, but if you don't believe that you deserve your dream, it ain't coming. So this combination, the whole really is greater than the sum of its parts. If you'd have the daily discipline, you take the time to actually get trained in a meditation practice that's eradicating that lifetime of old stress from your body, it impacts what I call deserving power. You start to actually believe that you deserve your dreams. You start to believe that you deserve your desires. And then when you get clear and specific about what it is that you want to create and why from that place, it's like the gap between your desires and your desires becoming manifest gets shorter and shorter. And it starts to feel kind of like magic. It's not magic. It's a return on investment. It only feels like magic if you're using your gauge as success as a bunch of other stressed out people. But when you start to congregate with people like this and come to conferences like this and see that you're not crazy, you're not alone, oh wait, this stuff is real, thoughts do become things, I am the co-creator of my reality, then we actually start to fan each other's flame and we start to lift each other up. Good. So, quick recap. We got mindfulness, which is like waking state, directed focus mental technique, small part of the brain is lighting up, very, very bright, very good at dealing with your stress in the now. We've got meditation, which is where we're accessing a verifiable fourth state of consciousness. Right and left hemispheres are functioning in unison. We're inducing deep healing rest that's getting rid of our stress from the past, which is ultimately the thing that uplevels our performance capabilities. And something I'd like to elaborate on while we're on the meditation piece is that meditation is really giving you access to your bliss and fulfillment inside of you. Now, that sounds like a pretty concept, but I want to put that into like a real-life example. Most of us spend most of our lives seeking our fulfillment externally. The I'll be happy Wednesday. If my husband would just go to therapy, then I could be happy. If I could just get that one more zero in my bank account, then I would be happy. If I could just get one more pair of shoes, one more speaking gig, one more Instagram like, then I will be happy. So most of us are running around our lives like a bag of need looking to be fulfilled. And what meditation does is that it actually plugs you into the source of fulfillment. You're plugging into the source of creativity, the source of energy, the source of rest. And that turns you into fulfillment looking for need. And that is not an insignificant shift. Because when you start to approach every single situation in your life from what can I give, how can I contribute, what can I offer, 
all that stuff that you want starts to show up by accident. It's not accident. Again, it's a return on investment. Think about someone in your life who stresses you out, like really stresses you out. And we're not going to do it out loud. So even if they're in the room, you can say it. You can be honest with yourself. If you don't have one, you can just think about, you know, politics. (laughs) Okay. And now think about if you were going to have a dinner party, like the day you get back from Mind Valley Reunion, you have a dinner party and you want to invite like your 10 best friends over to tell them about your experience and what you learned. Who's the first person you would invite? Like just the person you love being around. Does everyone have someone? Okay, so here's my hypothesis about the difference between these two people. That person who stresses you out is in some way not self-sufficient. That person does not have the ability to access their own fulfillment internally, so they're always looking for it outside. Can you just help me? Can you just help me move? Can I just have $100? I'm so sorry I'm going to be late. Can you just adjust your schedule to deal with mine? Can you just listen to me while I complain? And like, they're just like constantly making you adapt to them because they have not created the tools to be self-sufficient. Now, if we go to our other person, our favorite person at the dinner party, my hypothesis that all of our favorite people has in common is that they are self-sufficient, that they've developed some sort of a means by which to tap into the source, to access their own fulfillment internally. And so when you talk to them, you feel like you're the only person in the room, that they always feel like they have time to listen, they're always generous, they're ready to lend a helping hand. You know they have more stuff to do than you, but they'll help you do the dishes at the end of the dinner party. They never come empty-handed. And it just seems like they're just a little head of schedule. Right? And so my question to you is, which one of these people do you want to be? Do you want to be someone that's energetically costing the people around you, that's creating a debt? Or do you want to be the person that's giving energetically and creating, um, we'll call it good karma? (laughs) So I think this is an important question to ask ourselves. Any questions about that? Any questions so far? I did have a question regarding like the difference between mindfulness and meditation. Mm -hmm. Like, Sometimes, like, I'll start mindfulness, Mm -hmm. and then if it's not a good day, like, it'll be, like, really hard even to follow the mindfulness practice. But then sometimes I start with mindfulness, and then you do get into a state where you actually feel different, Mm -hmm. and you feel like you can kind of stay there, and then you don't have to follow the line anymore. Would that be, like, using mindfulness to get to a meditation state, or is it another technique to do meditation, like to, to get on the meditation state. Yeah, so it sounds to me like what you're describing is that, yes, you're using mindfulness, more of like a left brain waking state, and then occasionally you'll sort of access some other state of consciousness and it feels sort of dreamy and delicious and you want to hang out there. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, so I would say yes, and that's actually what we do in the Ziva technique is that we use mindfulness like as the appetizer to the main course, which is meditation, and then we use the manifesting as the dessert. Now, the thing that I would offer is that it's possible to develop tools to where it's not just like an accident, that you're not just like, oh, today I happen to like fall into this bliss, but you actually start to develop the tools to where you're cultivating and curating it every day, twice a day. But yes, that sounds awesome. And one thing I do want to just say, for especially anyone that's new to meditation or that has heard perhaps misinformation in the past, and even if you guys know this, please go and shout this from the rooftops and just spread it far and wide, because a lot of people think that the point of meditation is to clear the mind, right? So I heard just maybe a little bit of this, is like sometimes I'll do mindfulness and it's hard to like stay on the things. I'm having like distracting thoughts or I'm thinking about my ex-boyfriend or I'm thinking about work. So a lot of us think that the point of meditation is to clear the mind. And then we feel like failures when we can't do that. So here's some really good news. 
The mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. I'm going to say that again for dramatic effect, okay? The mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. So trying to give your brain a command to shut up is as impactful as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. It does not work, and yet this is the criteria by which most people are judging their meditations on. So just to drive this point home, on the count of three, I want everyone to try and give their hearts a command to stop beating. Ready? One, (laughs) two, three. And please nobody die. Okay, like we all agree that that's ridiculous, right? So let's please stop judging our meditations by ridiculous criteria. Let's stop judging ourselves at how good we are at meditating by how good we are at clearing our minds and instead look at how it's affecting the rest of our life. You invest 2% of your day in meditation to make the other 98% of your day better. So this bullcrap argument of like, I don't have time to meditate, Just raise your hand if you've ever said that. I don't have time to meditate today. All right, I'm about to call you out. (laughs) If you believe that stress makes you stupid, which it does, and if you believe that meditation is the most powerful stress-relieving tool that we have, then this argument of I don't have time to meditate does not hold water anymore. When your body gets stressed, it launches involuntarily into a fight-or-flight stress reaction. Your digestion floods with acid because it's like basically preparing for a predatory attack, right? Digestion floods with acid to shut down digestion so you can fight or flee. Your skin gets acidic so you don't taste very good if that tiger bites into you. Your blood thickens and coagulates so you don't bleed to death if the tiger bites you. Your bladder and bowels evacuate so you can be light on your feet to fight or flee. That's your nervous poo phenomenon. Your immune system goes to the back burner because who cares if you're going to get cancer if you're about to be killed by a tiger? We need all hands on deck to fight or flee the predator. And also your adrenaline levels increase and your cortisol levels increase. Now, I don't like teaching from fear tactics, but if you want to freak yourself out, just have a quick Google search about what adrenaline and cortisol are doing to your body. It is not cute. It is belly fat. It is infertility. It is a decrease in brain elasticity. It is chronic inflammation. It is autoimmune disease. It's the equivalent of dumping acid in your body all day, every day. And they'll be like, why do I look so tired? So this series of chemical reactions is very good for you if your demands are saber-toothed tigers. But if your demands are kids or in-laws or red eyes or traffic, then this fight or flight thing has become maladaptive. It's now disallowing us from performing at the top of our game. So instead of freaking out about that, let's just start meditating. And then when we start meditating, not only does that adrenaline and cortisol go away, but you start flooding your brain with dopamine and serotonin, which not only feel amazing, but they're also alkaline in nature. And as we all know, an alkaline body can repair itself more quickly. You can start to reverse your body age. And this is some exciting new news coming out, is that meditation can reverse your body age by some people are saying eight, some people are saying 15 years. When I first heard that, I was like, "Uh uh-uh. I was like, it's not a fountain of youth. There's no way that's real. But then I started thinking about it. And it's like, well, it's not that the meditation is reversing your body age. It's that it's slowing down the acceleration of aging that stress has on the body. And if you want proof that stress ages the body expeditiously, look at any president the day they take office and that same president four years later. And that's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. It's the fact that they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. They're not sleeping. They're constantly in a high demand situation. And that has a cost on our own brains and bodies over time. If you enjoyed this episode, I can't wait for you to continue learning from Emily. Check out her program on Mind Valley. It's called The M Word. And as you can guess, M stands for 
Meditation. It's a beautiful 30-day program that takes you deep in meditation. It's on our Quest platform, and you can get it directly from the Mindvalley app or from mindvalley.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and please leave us a review. Mention Emily's name. I know that'll mean a lot to her. And don't forget to tune in next week on another episode of the Mindvalley podcast. Thank you guys for being fans of Mindvalley, and go forth and meditate. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.